Welcome to a special Holy Thursday edition of the South Harbor Church podcast. In this message, Pastor Tim walks us through the final moments of Jesus' life before his crucifixion and what these images mean for us today. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. Uh, in the, the hours before Jesus went to the cross, he retreated to a quiet place where he prayed. And, uh, and John, the youngest disciple, the disciple who Jesus loves, um, John records his prayer. And I want to open with just sharing a portion of this prayer with you. Um, because part of this prayer, he prays for himself, and then he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for those who, uh, the disciples of his disciples, um, which eventually is us. And so uh, this is Jesus' prayer for you and I. It's found in John 17. I'll I'll read it for us. Uh, Jesus prays, Father, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them May be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Uh, Jesus says, my prayer is that they may be in us. Um, powerful words, uh, but, um, but what do they mean? Uh, Jesus, in just a couple of, of sentences in this really beautiful prayer, um, he, he gives us some really deep theology. Um, but it's really easy to read something like this and uh, just keep on reading because it, it's so profound that it kind of gets lost on us. What does Jesus mean when he says, my prayer, Father, is that as I am in you, may they also be in us. Uh, as, as I identify, as my identity is rooted in you, Father, may their identity be uh, found in me. Uh, Jesus, in, in the hours right before uh, his final hours, um, Jesus, in his very last hours, takes some time. He gets on his hands and knees and he prays, for you, and he prays for me that we would find new identities. And uh, I don't know about you, but as I've been reflecting on all this, I, I think I think we crave this. I think we crave this identity. I um, I uh, just in this last week alone talking to uh, to our church and just hearing how many struggles we all carry. Um, we live in a world that struggles with with identity. Uh, do we not? Um, a couple stories. Uh, a few years ago, 
I, uh, I, uh, a girl walked into my office. Um, this was in my previous church. And uh, she walked into my office. And to be honest with you, uh, this encounter, this, this uh, meeting completely caught me off guard. I was not anticipating this. Um, I, I, uh, she had called me earlier in the week and she had asked to meet. And I, I knew this young woman pretty well. Um, she was, uh, so the, about nine months earlier, she had graduated from high school and uh, she had moved out of state to go to, to, go to college. And uh, those nine months had passed. And now she's back home for the summer. Um, but I, I knew her family. I, uh, I'd been to their house. I went on a mission trip, actually helped lead a mission trip with her and her classmates the summer before. But now she's in my office. She's back for summer break. And she had asked to meet. And so I was excited to see her again. Um, but as she entered my office, I immediately noticed that uh, something was different. Now, uh, this girl, uh, a year ago, her face, uh, when, you, when you'd see her, it was one of those, well, she's one of those people that when she entered a room, when she smiled, it kind of lit up the whole room. Like she was just this charismatic, fun-loving girl. And she had this uh, infectious laugh, the kind that would make you laugh. You probably know somebody like this, right? Like they laugh and then it makes you want to laugh. And, uh, and she would do that. She would enter a room and, and instantly like her, she would, she would just kind of fill the room with life and vitality. Um, but, but now nine months later, she's sitting in my office and her face had grown like pale and uh, she wasn't laughing. She wasn't smiling. She, um, she looked really depressed to be honest with you. And uh, I, I immediately knew what was going on. Uh, you could see what was going on. Uh, over the last nine months, uh, this, this uh, what was a high school senior, now a college freshman, had starved herself. Uh, apparently, uh, as we talked about her story, um, some girl in her class or at some party or somewhere had made some comment about her appearance and, uh, and this triggered some deep insecurity in her and um, the way she found to control this insecurity was by not eating. And uh, this quickly spiraled out of control. Her parents was, were contacted by the school, and, uh, and they noticed that very quickly their daughter had fallen to a really crippling disease of anorexia. And if you know of anybody who's, who's battled through anorexia, it is a beast of a disease. And uh, she's now sitting in my office and she had wanted to meet, and she's looking at me, and she is dangerously skinny. Um, and as we're talking, she, she says something along the lines of, uh, Pastor Tim, I hate the way I look. Everyone tells me I'm too skinny, but I don't see it. When I look in the mirror, I don't see somebody who's skinny. I see somebody who's fat and who's ugly. And then she says, and I hate myself right now. Uh, Jesus, in the hours before he will be crucified, says, my prayer, Father, is that they also be in us a new identity. Uh, when I was in seminary, I uh, had the opportunity to um, volunteer with a, a, it was kind of like this grassroots mission Project thing. We called it ourselves Last Call Ministries. Um, it was 
based out of Holland. We had a, a couple that were doing it in Saugatuck. Um, but essentially, Last Call Ministry was, uh, as the nights progressed on the weekend and as people got more and more intoxicated, we would go out to the bars and we would leave these flyers and say, hey, if you're, if you're unable to drive home, this is in the days before Uber. Uh, and so we said, if you're unable to drive home, give this number a call. We will drive you home. We'll have somebody tail you so they can pick us back up. We'll leave your car at your home, but please don't drive. And, uh, and so I, I would do this while, while in seminary. Periodically, I would, uh, I would do this. And it was at w- around 1 a.m. as the bars were closing and uh, I was driving and a very, a very drunk and a very depressed man uh, was sitting in the passenger seat next to me as I was driving him home. And without even, even asking him for it, he began to share his story with me. Uh, he told me that his struggle with alcohol, he actually named that he had a struggle with alcohol. He said it began when he was in high school. He said he had his first drink around the age of 16. And what he noticed was when he drank, he all of a sudden had this newfound courage and he liked it. Like he found him like, I can talk to people that I didn't talk to before. And then he said, when I drank, I found that like I became kind of the life of the party. And I was actually known as the fun guy. Up until then, I was always the quiet guy. And, and I loved it. Uh, this is what he's telling me. Um, but he then says, soon uh, I found that as I got older, I was no longer drinking at just the parties. Now I was drinking at home. I, f- I would actually find myself hiding bottles around my house so my wife didn't find out. And uh, I would lock myself in rooms just so I could drink. And then I would pound some Listerine so that my breath would be covered. And I was doing this every single night. And then she divorced me. And now... I am alone at a bar, drinking alone to escape being alone. And, uh, and for him, this world had told him that his identity was, hey, like, look at you, you're the party animal, you're fun to be around. And that identity uh, had driven this man to nearly kill himself. Jesus says, my prayer is that they also be in us, that they find their identity in us. Uh, there is a series of books that came out a few years back. Um, the books were called the Shopaholic series. I don't know if, if they're popular anymore, but um, it's an interesting word. I remember first hearing shopaholic, and, um, and it's, it's kind of we say the word and then we kind of snicker. Uh, and yet for many people, consumerism, in our nation especially, consumerism uh, has become a pretty serious disease in our nation. I had a friend from college who, uh, coming out of college, she, she had this new job and she got a bunch of new money and she found herself shopping. And eventually she, she would come to us as a group of friends and she would say, uh, I think I'm addicted to it and I'm not joking. Um, she's the one who, who first was the one who told me like I... I would get into my car and, and I'd get this buzz from buying stuff. And then I'd get in my car and um, I would find myself sitting in the car and wondering, I wonder if they have the same shirt in green. She's the person who first said those words to me. Um, she said, because then I'd be happy. Then I'd be happy. And so she spent and she spent and she spent and she spent and she spent. Um, Jesus says, my prayer is that they may also be in us a new identity. Um, He uh, sits in front of his computer every night and he continues to look at more soul-destructing images 
every single night. Uh, and the images keep getting a little bit more graphic. Um, they, uh, he, he makes these excuses, like, I'll, I'll quit someday, I'll stop someday. Um, he's even lied to himself to say, like, okay, once I'm in a relationship, then I'll stop, I'll stop looking at them. But then he's in a relationship, and he finds himself still looking at them. And they continue to get a little darker, a little more angry, a little more violent. Um, but when I'm married, then I'll stop. Once I'm married, and he makes excuse after excuse after excuse and everyone around him says, this is completely normal. You're, you're just a dude. You're just a guy. You're a man. That's your identity. You're, you're a man and men have desires. It's fine. And yet what he discovers is that identity is consuming his thoughts and is making him feel quite weak. Jesus says, my prayer is that they also would be in us a new identity. Um, the next story I, I want to share is uh, one, I, I think I've shared it only one time before in my life, and yet it's a story I think about uh, pretty often, pretty often. I was 26 when this particular story happened to me. I was uh, working f- uh, for a summer uh, in, as an intern in Tulare, California. It's kind of in the valley of California, um, which is not what you think when you think California. If you're unfamiliar with California, you think like beaches and cities. Uh, this, is, this is Dutch dairy farmer land. And I'm serving a church in Tulare, California. And uh, they didn't have a real job for me when I took the job. And so they said, what do you want to do? And I, I made a job up. And one of my jobs that I made up was uh, I would start a VBS on wheels. I'm not the first to think of this. Uh, others have done it. But uh, but I was the first to do it there. And so what we would do is we got this large kind of minivan slash bus, kind of somewhere between a bus and a van. And uh, us volunteers, a bunch of college students mostly, um, we would get inside the bus and then we would go from apartment complex to apartment complex to, uh, we, we did one in a park. Um, we did one in a trailer park. And we would bring some lunch, so pizza, subs, and we would bring uh, like a football or a basketball and then we would, we would gather kids, we'd go to the apartment complexes and invite people down, and, uh, and then we would tell a Bible story and throw a football and eat some pizza. Uh, most of the kids that would join us were about somewhere between the age of like five and nine, so kind of like my kids' age currently. Um, there was one kid, though, that showed up once, and he showed up on his bike, and uh, this kid was older than all the other kids, um, quite, quite a bit older. He was 16 when he showed up, and... Um, uh, to be honest with you, he was kind of a pain. Uh, I was actually, he kind of made me mad. Uh, he was a classic bully. Um, his, uh, I found out as he started like hanging out with us and he'd sit in on the Bible lessons, but he'd often be poking somebody. Um, I found out his, his name was, his name was Tony. And every week he would show up, same routine. We'd show up in our bus. Uh, we'd bring the pizzas and the footballs and all those things. And the kids would gather and then Tony would show up on his bike, and uh, Tony would start picking on the kids, and, uh, and it would kind of, it wouldn't ruin what we were doing, but it really, it, it, made, it made the space feel unsafe for the kids, at least that's how we felt. And so I had planned that um, with, with these other uh, volunteer leaders that I, I need to talk to Tony, and I need to tell Tony he, if he continues this, please don't come back, you're not welcome here, which is hard words to say, but like you're not making the space safe. Uh, anyway, on the day that I was planning on telling him that, uh, 
uh, uh, he had shown up in the middle of our lesson and he kind of pulled up his bike and he's sitting there and I'm sharing with the kids the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man, and, uh, and how Zacchaeus was this guy who had this horrible reputation, nobody trusted him, uh, and he didn't fit in, didn't, didn't have a crowd, didn't have a group, um, and so he has to climb a tree to see Jesus. I'm telling the group this story and, and afterwards the kids all kind of take off and uh, Tony's sitting there. And so I come up to Tony because I'm going to tell him that I, I can't have you come anymore. And uh, uh, Tony says to me, Mr. Tim, can we talk? And, I'm, and I say, yeah, I actually was meaning to talk to you. And he said, um, that last story, is that true? And I said, yeah, that's true. And then he started to tell me, it's like he just opened up and he's, he told me about his dad and how his dad left when he was young. He, he actually never had met his dad and his mom's got this new boyfriend and this new boyfriend gets really angry and he doesn't like this new boyfriend when he's angry, but he doesn't really see his mom because his mom is working two jobs uh, and how they don't have a lot. Um, they live um, very differently than most of the kids uh, in the neighborhood and uh, he's much poorer and his clothes are not, his clothes reflect that he's much poorer. Uh, and a uh, small detail, um, Tony was one of the few black kids in the neighborhood. Anyway, I say that because um, Tony said to me, uh, Tim, look around. How many, how many people look like me here? And he says, look around. Do you know, how people, you know what people do when they see me? They cross the street. Uh, I was called a thug when I was just trying to get groceries. Some people don't even make eye contact with me. I've noticed that when a, a, a man and a woman are walking side by side, that they'll switch places so that he's closer to me. Does this happen to you, he says. Do you have that happen? Um, Tony's just a kid, uh, I realize in this moment. Um, he's a bully, but he's just a kid. And in fact, uh, he's a good kid. He's a good kid. Uh, but what happens is essentially he adopts this attitude that, okay, if that's what you're going to think I am, I'll show you. I'll become that. I'll become a bully. I, I, he began to steal. Um, he actually did become a bit dangerous. But uh, in that moment, Tony says, okay, if this, if this is true, I think I might, I think I might want to hear more about this Jesus. And so uh, I didn't know what to do. I was 26. And so I say a prayer over him, which was the right thing to do. Uh, and I, I say, hey, come back next week. We'll continue to talk. Um, but you got to be nicer to the other kids, man. You got to be nicer. He promises he will. That Saturday, um, I come down, I'm, I was staying with this guy named Jim Thompson, great, great gentleman. He housed me in his house and come down and Jim is sitting at the kitchen table and, uh, and I have some cereal and he's got the newspaper out and I, I notice that there's a picture on the front of the newspaper and so I pick up the newspaper and on the cover of the newspaper is local boy shot and killed. And then uh, you see the name under the picture and the name of the boy is Anthony. And the picture is Tony. Apparently, if I piece the story together right, uh, one of the kids had decided he had been bullied too long. A 15-year-old boy 
um, found a gun somewhere and decided to use that gun and took Tony's life. Um, Jesus says, uh, my prayer is that they also be in us. Jesus' prayer in the moments before he will give up his life is that you and I would find a new identity. That all the things that seek to define us in our world would not define us. Isn't that what the cross is all about? Isn't that what we say we believe? That the old is gone, the new has come. But if so, why do so many of us, myself included, still buy so many of the lies? Uh, Jesus talks about the world. The world doesn't know them. They're not of the world. But why is it that so many of us buy so many of the lies? What we want to do this evening, uh, it's a little bit of a tradition here, but we're going to break a little bit of our tradition. Uh, I, I want to share a little bit more. Um, but before we do that, we... Uh, in the past, I'd put uh, text, we called it testimonies. We put up the text uh, on the screen. Um, but, but for the sake of anonymity this, this evening, we wanted to give our, us a space. Uh, hopefully you got a note card as you're on your way in. Um, there should be pens in the seat back in front of you. Um, but we just wanted to give you a space to write down, uh, to actually fill in the prayer Jesus invited us to pray. Father, deliver us from um, what is the thing? We all have something. Um, what is the thing? It, is it a person's name? Somebody hurts you? Somebody you hurt that you've been carrying around the guilt of that? Is it a, a lie? Is it, is it a, a brand that you've chosen to believe about yourself that has stuck with you? Is it an addiction? Uh, we did this a few years back, and um, I, I sat in my office and I wept. Um, uh, I, won't, I, sh I shouldn't put you on the spot, but Brad Dykstra, I remember you coming up to me after a service and saying, it's a lot of pain. And I just remember sitting in the office thinking, it's a lot of pain. One of them said, my dad doesn't love me. I'm addicted to, I have an affair and my wife doesn't know about it. There's something about naming it that disempowers it. We're going to talk about the new identity, but we just wanted to give some space. Uh, Jared and Rob um, will we'll, uh, play a couple of songs. We'll, we'll sing some more and worship some more, but um, be as honest as you can be. If you right now you're thinking, I, can't, I, don't, even feel, I don't feel comfortable writing anything down, that's okay. Just, uh, that's okay. Don't, there's no pressure to do so. Um, before we take communion in a few minutes, um, we'll, if you are comfortable, you can drop them in these baskets. I would love to pray over the thing you're carrying, um, but... But again, don't feel like you have to, but we do want to invite you into a moment of healing. Join me in a word of prayer. Uh, God, we carry so much. Would you set us free? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I hear these words from the uh, Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Uh, but with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate, the governor, decided to grant their demand. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, 
Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Uh, Soon after Jesus uh, said a prayer, he had a meal with his disciples. We will celebrate that meal in just a few moments. Um, But after that meal, Jesus goes back to a place to pray. Uh, He goes to a garden, um, and he says a prayer. And uh, while he's praying, while his friends are falling asleep as he's in his hour of greatest need, he is met by another friend, um, a friend who will mark him with a kiss, uh, who has led uh, those who will arrest him right up to him, a guy by the name of Judas. For 30 pieces of silver, Judas agreed to betray uh, Jesus. Uh, Jesus has spent his, his adult life pouring into Judas. Judas is a disciple. Judas is a friend. Uh, and Judas betrays him with a kiss. And that kiss will change history. Uh, Jesus is uh, then arrested. He, he gives himself over. He doesn't fight back. He gives himself over. He's arrested. He is brought before an illegal assembly and he's tried Uh, He is found guilty by this illegal assembly. Uh, The crowds shout out, crucify him. A few days earlier, on Palm Sunday, the crowds had gathered as he entered the city and they had shouted, Hoshana, Hosanna, he's our king. Um, Hoshana, save us, you're our king, Jesus. And now the crowds uh, gather under the cover of the night and they shout out, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. We would rather have the, the traitor rebel than Jesus. He was supposed to fight for us, and he didn't. And then what would happen next is one of the most heartbreaking stories. It's, again, it's one of the stories we've heard so often that we can miss the heartbreak of it all. But when you actually hear the story and think about the story, it is truly heartbreaking. One of the most heartbreaking stories in all of history, Rome the world's empire, superpower of the day, unleashed the, the full force of their power and denomination on Jesus. They gave, they gave Jesus the very best torture they had. Uh, Jesus was then led to a courtyard where they took a thorn branch and they, as an attempt to mock him, they twist the thorn branch into a crown you call yourself a king, here's a crown. And they uh, pushed the crown of thorns down on his, his forehead. And uh, then they take a purple robe, the color of royalty, and they parade him around in the purple robe. And they taunt him. And uh, if you were reading the verses as you came in, they spit on him until the blood and tears, and spit, mixed together, and drip down the face of our Savior. And he doesn't fight back. He doesn't fight back. Uh, Then comes the flogging. Um, Flogging, uh, the Roman flogging is interesting. Uh, Romans wanted... uh, it's like whipping, um, but they wanted the whipping to hurt a bit more. So they would tie into the ends of their whips bits of bone and glass. Uh, the idea was as you whip, you could tear apart flesh every time you whipped. And uh, slashing after slashing after slashing, uh, every inch of the back of Jesus, they wanted to humiliate him. 
And then upon that back, they place the beam of the cross and they force Jesus to walk uh, down a busy street, um, a narrow street with shop vendors on the sides, just another normal day for everyone else. Um, But they force Jesus to walk with a cross. The cross is the most sophisticated device of torture the world had seen up until this this time. This is the most sophisticated device for torture that Rome had. Uh, Often they would tie criminals, but in the case of Jesus, we read that they actually nail him to the cross. Uh, A nail in each hand and a nail between his, uh, in his feet. Um, Most likely, uh, we believe that uh, the word hand can mean anything from the the tip of your finger down to your forearm. Um, They believe that the nail would have gone here. Because if you put it here, it will lock against the bone. And then they take his feet and they place them together and they put a nail between his feet. Rome wanted to humiliate you. That was the goal. It, you were the warning sign that everyone who passed don't mess with you. Don't mess with Rome. Rome wanted you to remember we have defeated you. Uh, it's a sophisticated device of torture because every time you you took a breath, you would have to lift yourself to take the breath. And so every time Jesus takes a breath, he would have to lift himself. Uh, the, the nail digging into his flesh, the, uh, the back that has been flogged, rubbing against the splinters of a wooden cross beam, every breath. Uh, the way you die on a cross is uh, you can't breathe anymore. What, we're, what we, we are told um, is that the way you die on a cross is that you eventually lose the strength to lift yourself up anymore and your lungs begin to fill with blood and water. That's the piercing of the side moment. Um, your lungs begin to fill with blood and water. This is a bit, it's a bit heavy. Um, and then you asphyxiate. You can't, you can't breathe. It was the very best torture they had. And struggling with breath from that cross, Jesus cries out in his last breaths, what would you say? Jesus cries out in his last breath, Father, Dad, Abba, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. The Romans gave Jesus the very best they had, the full measure of their torture devices. Uh, They used every word to break him down, every image to break him down. The Romans on that Friday gave to Jesus everything they had. The cross was the very best they had. And from the cross in an act of absolute and utter defiance, Jesus forgives. It's almost as if Jesus in that moment is saying, Is that the best you have? Come on, Satan. Is that the best you have? Really? That's not going to break me. Is that the best you have? Uh, Soon after this moment, Christians uh, did something really interesting. They took a a symbol of torture, a symbol of torment, um, a symbol that many of their family members, loved ones, and friends had died on, and they began to carve that symbol on their door frames. Uh, Many of them began to wear the symbol on their bodies. 
Almost as an act of utter defiance to a Roman empire. This symbol you used to torture us, it will not end us. You gave our God the best you had. And in an act of utter defiance, he defeated it. And we too, we will not be defeated by, by you. Is this the best you have? Because we will not let this stop us. We will carve it in our door frames. Many of them would be crucified to them for the act of carving them in their door frames. Maybe you're here and um, you're carrying the weight of disease, the weight of death, the weight of loss. Uh, I can only imagine uh, the, the sheer amount of times I find myself sitting in a space and it's like, if anyone else knew, uh, if anyone else knew, the, 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 maybe you come in through the doors and you're feeling alone or depressed or afraid. Um, for many of us, uh, the pain of Good Friday is not just is not just a, an abstract idea. For many of us, it's a very real experience. You feel trapped. You've seen death. You feel helpless. Here's what the cross says to us. Is that the best you have? Satan, is this the best you have? Is that the, is, is that the best? You, you know how Paul, one of the first Christians, tormented his, his persecutors? Oh, oh, death, is death the best you have? Death has lost its sting, he says. He'll eventually be killed. But death, where is your victory, oh death? At one point he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If death is the best you have, Satan, our God defeated it. It doesn't scare me anymore. Uh, a girl stands in front of a mirror and she looks at herself in the mirror and all she sees is the identity that a classmate in a moment that probably was a passing comment to her, but for, for this girl defined an entire year in college as she starved herself and terrified her parents, terrified her church, terrified everyone who loved her. But she looks in that mirror and she sees an old identity as a girl who, in her words, I'm too fat and I'm too ugly. Is that the best you have, Satan? Those identities? Uh, a, a man finds himself night after night uh, in, a, in bar after bar alone, stuck to the bottle, thinking that maybe someday I can get the courage again and I can be the life of the party again. Is this the best you got? Uh, a boy finds himself logging on more often, seeing more and more soul-destructing images. Uh, a girl spends money that she doesn't have on stuff that she doesn't need. Finding herself, the more she spends, spend, 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 the emptier, 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 emptier she feels. And yet she can't stop. Is this the best you have? Uh, a boy told by the world that he is a thug, to use his words. That uh, all he'll ever amount to be is a thief just like his dad that he never met. And so he slowly becomes the identity that this world has put on him. Satan, is this the best you have? Because we no longer buy it. Your false identities, we no longer buy them. This is what we celebrate on, 
on Maundy Thursday, on Good Friday, Jesus took the very best Satan had to offer, death itself. He took the very best Rome had to offer, the cross and the crucifixion, and in an act of absolute and utter defiance from the cross, in the moment of death, Jesus says, I, I for, Dad, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And hours before that, he sat with his friends, knowing one of them would betray him. And he extended the bread and the cup. And uh, tonight he extends the bread and the cup and he extends them to you and he extends them to me. My prayer, Jesus prayed, is that they be in us, that they find a new identity. As you take in, I don't know what you wrote down. I don't know, maybe there was something that you wrote down, but actually there was something else you wanted to write down, but you didn't want somebody looking over your shoulder. I, I don't know, we, we go through these games. I do it too. Um, but whatever that is, whatever's here, that identity, leave that here. That's not who you are. Jesus said that's not who you are. The cross said that's not who you, that's not who you are. And when you take the, the, the bread and when you take the cup, you take in a very mysterious but real way, you take Christ in. His identity becomes your identity. New life, new hope. Now, in, in case we think that this is easy for Jesus to offer, in the hours after this moment with his disciples, Jesus will be in a garden begging his dad. Dad, I don't want to. Take the cup from me. I can't do it. I don't want to do it, God. Or dad. That's what he says, dad. But if you want me to, your will be done. I'll do it. I'll do it. Do not come to the table lightly. Um, do not take it for granted. Um, and, and yet when you eat this bread and when you drink from this cup, um, do it as an act of defiance. You are not who this world says you are. Satan, we will not let you define us. We will not. We are no longer afraid. Jesus took on the very best you had, and he, in that moment, he forgave. There's a power in that. And that power, he says, is for us too. Come on, Satan. Is this the best you have? Is the best you have all those little lies? Yeah, we believe them, but not anymore. Uh, and so we eat uh, communion. We take communion as an act of utter defiance of a world that thinks it can define us. Um, we are not of this world, Jesus said. That's his prayer. You are not of this world, but you are in this world, but you are not of this world. So Father, may they see that they are in us. That's their permanent residence. They live at this place, but they're not in this place. They're in us. We do not come to the table as victims. We do not come to the table as, uh, as mere um, puppets of the enemy. We come to the table as heroes. As Paul would say, we come as conquerors. No, Paul would say we come as more than conquerors through Jesus Christ um, because we know that our Savior lives. And because he lives, we can trust what he says. And what he says is, this is not the end. No matter what we go through, this is not the end of us. As surely as Christ came, Christ will come again. He has not and will not abandon his church. Uh, the way we're going to take communion this evening is uh, Chris Thompson and I are going to serve from the middle. And um, let's maybe file down these two rows and uh, zipper in. Um, and 
Um, you'll take the bread and you'll rip it and then dip it into the cup. Um, there is a gluten-free option. Just let us know if, if that's something you would like. Um, who is welcome at the table? If you have sinned or you continue to struggle with sin, you're welcome to the table. If you have been beat up or feel like right now you're being beat up, you are welcome to the table. If you are tired of fighting, if you are desperately in need of a savior, you're welcome to the table. And uh, if, you've, if you've never heard the good news of Jesus, I would love to make a special spot at the table. I can think of no better time to say yes to Jesus than right now with all that's going on in our world and right now in Holy Week. I can think of no better time to say I am walking away from this old identity because Christ is giving me a new identity. So we invite you to come and, uh, and to come, at, come as conquerors. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which has been given for you. And then in the same manner also, after they had eaten, he took a cup, and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Uh, Lord, to, to quote the author of Hebrews, the, the sin that we have experienced entangles us. Uh, Lord, we want to run after you, um, and yet the sin we carry entangles us. It wraps itself around us. It wants to slow us down. Lord, I pray for our church. Lord, I pray for my friends. Lord, I pray for uh, those right now who, um, who feel very alone in the things that they're carrying. Uh, Lord, would you break that this morning would, or this evening? Lord, would you remind us that we are not alone? You've given us each other. You've given us this body. And more than that, Jesus, you have given us your very self. Would you remind us of this? Uh, Jesus, we pray that you would remind us that this, the, all of the old identities are not who we are. We are not just a fill in the blank. Lord Jesus, would you remind us right now that you paid the ultimate price, you paid the ultimate sacrifice, and Lord, you, you did it with joy according to the scriptures because you knew who it was for. Uh, Heavenly Father, would you help us to take this communion in as not as victims, but as conquerors through Christ who has conquered death. Jesus, we love you. We love you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this time of reflection and confession. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. 
And so once again, from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we wanna wish you a blessed week.